This evening, we consider the third commandment of God's law, which is Exodus 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. We turn together to Leviticus chapter 24 first. And there we read verses 10 through 16. Leviticus 24, beginning at verse 10. And the son of an Israelitish woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the children of Israel, and this son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And they brought him unto Moses, and his mother's name was Shelemith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in ward, that the mind of the Lord might be showed them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well the stranger as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. Now we turn to the prophecy of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36 And we read, beginning at verse 16, to the end of the chapter, Ezekiel 36, beginning at verse 16. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way and according to their doings I judged them. And when they had entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, These are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of his land. But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, 
but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleannesses, and I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field, and ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God, be it known unto you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. For thus saith the Lord God, In the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the waste shall be builded, and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, This land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock, as the holy flock, as the flock of Jerusalem in her solemn feasts, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Our Heidelberg Catechism gives the exposition of the third commandment in Lord's Day 36, treating it with two questions and answers, 99 and 100. What is required in the third commandment? That we not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, 
must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And briefly, that we use the name, the holy name of God, no otherwise than with fear and reverence, so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. Is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? It undoubtedly is. For there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name. And therefore he has commanded this sin to be punished with death. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the passage which we read from Leviticus 24 is a shocking illustration of the seriousness of the sin of profaning God's holy name. Repeatedly and previously, God had given commandment through Moses warning against profaning his name. For I am Jehovah. He had concluded Leviticus 22 with the words, Therefore shall ye keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord, Jehovah. Neither, neither shall ye profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which hallow you, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. You think he's serious about what he says? Moses and God's people among the Israelites knew that his word was to be taken seriously. But how seriously does he guard his own name? When some heard this son of a mixed marriage whose mother was an Israelite blasphemed the name of God, and cursed, they were stunned. Are we? When we hear God's name and the name of God's Son abused in such a way today, do we realize how serious that sin is? How offensive to God? The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well the stranger as he that is born in the land. When he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, 
shall be put to death. Shocking, isn't it? The death penalty for profaning the name of God. The same penalty given to those who murder. The same penalty pronounced upon those who committed incest or who violate God's laws of nature by homosexual relationships. That's how seriously God looks upon the sin of taking his name in vain, using his name as a profanity. How we sinners need Jesus. Because it's evident from the book of Leviticus that all sin committed by people who go by God's name, who call themselves Christians, is ultimately the sin of profaning his name. It's also evident from the passage we read, Ezekiel 36, especially verses 20 through 23, that The sin forbidden in the third commandment involves more than just cursing and rash swearing, the mouth, the abuse of God's name. We must not have the opinion that just because we don't abuse God's name with profanity, all is well with us with respect to the third commandment. That illusion is immediately wiped away when we see that even the letter of the commandment does not only condemn the misuse of God's name, but the taking of God's name in vain, making it meaningless, empty. That makes this commandment exceeding broad And that's confirmed in Ezekiel 36, where God's sinful people were rebuked sharply for all their wickedness, their sinful walk of life, which God condemned by saying, they profaned my holy name. As those who bore the name of children of God, the people of God, their sinful walk, profaned his name. And the Lord told his people that he would sanctify his great name by cleansing them, with the consequence being this, verse 31, then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. So we see that the positive calling that comes to us in the third commandment is that we are to use the holy name of God with fear and reverence always. And that's a calling that reaches into every aspect of our life and everything we do. And again, this commandment, And let's not forget this as we go through the Ten Commandments. This commandment comes to us who have been redeemed by Christ. 
those who've been delivered from the bondage of sin and death, and who therefore have a desire to serve God in thankfulness for who he is and what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. With that as our perspective, and with a preliminary understanding of the breadth of this commandment, I call your attention to the calling of the third commandment, honoring God's holy name. Notice with me, first of all, the revelation of his name, secondly, the use of his name, and finally, the blessedness of his name. The third commandment has as its basis the truth that the great God has revealed himself to us by his name. By his name, God reveals himself as to his own nature and being, as the triune covenant God. Frequently in scripture, emphasis is given to the name of God. We sang of it just from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. That is, how excellent is Jehovah our God as he has revealed himself in all the works of his hands. Or again, Psalm 75, verse 1, Unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. Unto thee do we give thanks, for that thy name is near, thy wondrous works declare. There again, you see, the name of Jehovah denotes his presence. It's the revelation of his being. And to mention yet another text that I used as our call to worship this evening, Psalm 115, verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Again, we who are the children of God acknowledge that all glory is due him alone, God alone, soli deo gloria. That name again is a reference to him as he has revealed himself to us as God alone. That same truth of God's name being the revelation of himself is evident in the New Testament with the name of Jesus Christ. Think, for example, of John 1, verse 12, which speaks of those elect whose spiritual birth would not be seen of men, but of God. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Obviously, that's a reference to believing on him, isn't it? His name denotes Christ himself as he reveals himself to us. So it's by his names that God reveals himself to us. He makes himself known as the creator. He alone is the sustainer and preserver of all his creation. But to you, his people, he reveals himself especially in his name, Jehovah. 
or Yahweh, the I Am. Malachi explains that name so beautifully. In Malachi 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, that is Jehovah, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God reveals himself in his name Jehovah as the God who is unchangeably faithful to his covenant people. He will never fail us nor forsake us. Never does. He always reveals himself as the Holy One. Repeatedly in Scripture, he reveals himself by that name, especially in the prophecy of Isaiah, where his holiness is set forth against that dark background of Israel's apostasy and unholiness. He's the God who's totally consecrated to himself. He's the Almighty, the Lord who rules over all, the absolute sovereign, governing all things to accomplish his own purpose and the glorification of his own name. And so there are many other names by which God reveals himself to us as the God of our salvation and to the glory of his own being. But it's also by his name that God reveals to us his attributes. His attributes are also his name. They belong to his very being. Some of those attributes are so strongly tied to his own being, as it were, that no other creature can even bear them. His eternity, his transcendence, his infinity, his simplicity, his immutability are all entirely his own. They belong to no other created being. They're exclusively God's attributes. But he reveals himself also by other perfections which are, we say, communicable. That is, God has been pleased to have some of the, the light rays, as it were, of, of his attributes shine forth from his creatures as a reflection of how good he is. And yet, even though his people might be said to be holy and just or merciful and loving and good, by virtue of the work of the Holy Spirit in them, yet none of them is that way in himself or herself. None of them bears any of those attributes perfectly and infinitely. Only the name of God himself is revealed by those perfections of his being. He is love. He is mercy. He is holy. He is good. Those are his names. And then, because it's crucially important that we remember to view this commandment also in that light, no more blessed name is there 
by which God reveals the glory of his grace than the name Jesus Christ. The only name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. By the name Jesus, God not only reveals his being, he reveals perfectly all his attributes. He reveals himself as the only Savior who alone could save us. He was not only willing, his, in his infinite and sovereign love to take us unto himself and embrace us and make us part of his family, he was able. That's the revelation of his name in Jesus, Savior. So with just this brief reminder of the significance of the name of God and every single revelation of himself in the various names by which he reveals himself in Holy Scripture, we remember that God's name is so great, so great, there's no other name that can be compared to it. We are called to remember God's glory as revealed in his names. The use of his name requires deepest reverence and honor. The third commandment forbids the misuse of God's name. Let's hear the Catechism's exposition once again. What is required in the third commandment? That we, not only by cursing or perjury, but also by rash swearing, must not profane or abuse the name of God, nor by silence or connivance be partakers of these horrible sins in others. And briefly, that we use the holy name of God no otherwise than with fear and reverence so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. Is then the profaning of God's name by swearing and cursing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing? It undoubtedly is, for there is no sin greater or more provoking to God than the profaning of his name, and therefore he has commanded this sin to be punished with death. The Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Any one of you who is not completely sheltered from the world knows how common this sin is in the world today. In fact, the prevalence of this sin is one of the signs of the times, the signs which tell us that Christ is coming quickly. Revelation 17, the chapter that speaks of the development of Antichrist, the great beast, particularly in his religious aspect, speaks of the beast being full of names of blasphemy. That tells us 
that the direct attacks upon the name of God are prevalent in the kingdom of Antichrist. And the prevalence of such blasphemy in our day indicates the nearness of Christ's return. Still more, this sin is not limited to any age group or class of men. This is a sin heard in the corporate boardrooms as much as in the bars and locker rooms. And what was once referred to as the language of sailors or troopers has now become just as much the language of women. That's the development of sin. Men think there's no consequence to this sin. They take God's names on their lips without any thought whatsoever. And if it isn't to use his proper names as filler in expressions of anger or merely in shows of being tough, then it's the use of his attributes in profanity. And that's something that frequently consumes even us. How quickly we can use expressions like mercy, goodness, gracious, holy, such and such, without even realizing we're taking the very attributes of God upon our lips and making them common? That's what profanity is. It's to make common. It's to take that glorious name of God and drag it down to the level of dirt. It's to take that name which is so full of glory and majesty it ought never be spoken but with fear and reverence and make it something frivolous. And I might add, when we recognize that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool and hell is the place of God's fierce wrath, we ought to be just as careful in the use of those terms. We must understand that swearing is not merely, as is sometimes described, the effort of a feeble mind to express itself forcefully. No, no. Cursing and swearing is the effort of a carnal mind to drag God from his throne. That's why God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. But as the Catechism emphasizes it, it isn't just the coarse profanity of cursing and swearing that grievously violates this third commandment, but just as much the sinful silence that fails to give to God the glory that is his due. 
positively, we are called to use God's name with fear and reverence. And we are called to do so because taking his name upon our lips in that way, we rightly confess and worship him, and he is glorified in our works and words. That's a profound and significant exposition by our catechism. That means, of course, whenever we use the word of God without thought, whenever we take that name to ourselves without due consideration and reverence, we violate the third commandment. Whenever we use God's name without expressing it from the gratitude of our hearts for who he is and what he has done, we profane his name. That's a piercing thought. Then we might well ask the question, who has been more guilty of profaning the name of God. Those who sit in the tavern making ruckus with their friends? Or we who take that name so frequently upon our lips in the worship services? What do we do to God's name when after arguing and bickering at home all morning, we rush off to church, not having prepared at all for worship, not having prayed for God's blessing, and we sing, O Lord of hosts, how lovely thy tabernacles are. For them my heart is yearning, in banishment afar. My soul is longing, fainting, thy sacred courts to see. My heart and flesh are crying, O living God, for thee. Aren't we the guilty ones who sing or don't sing the praises of God taking his name repeatedly upon our lips without thought? Are not we the profaners whose minds are wandering when he is speaking to us? Are not we the guilty ones who voice our prayers without thought to him? To him whose majesty causes the angels to hide their faces before him. Is our talk as those who represent his name directed to the advancement of his glory? The name of God is profaned when it is used without due consideration and reverence, or when it is misrepresented by us who bear his name, being known as Christians. 
But then the catechism reminds us of still more. Reminds us that even our silence can involve us in profaning God's name. Because by silence or connivance, we become partakers of these sins, this horrible sin in others. Connivance is faking ignorance of a sin. Or even encouraging a sin. It's as simple as acting as if nothing's wrong when God's name is under attack. And notice, this silence to this sin was so important in the minds of the authors of the catechism as they expounded this third commandment that they bring it up again in the next question. Is then the profaning of God's name by cursing and swearing so heinous a sin that his wrath is kindled against those who do not endeavor as much as in them lies to prevent and forbid such cursing and swearing. Indeed it is. Nor is this difficult to understand when you recognize the great significance of God's name. Because the real question in that matter of sinful silence is the question of neutrality. Can we be neutral over against God? That's the question. And the answer from the Bible is certainly no. That's impossible. It is impossible with regard to the life and actions of a Christian. Jesus put it this way in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The way we live, you see, reflects on the name of our Father in heaven. It's impossible for a Christian to live a life of neutrality with respect to the name of his God. But the same holds true with our speech, with our confession. The words of our Lord are unmistakably clear in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. We are called to confess the holy name of God in fear and reverence. You see, people of God, it's not merely a matter of obligation to say something when someone in bold defiance of God uses his name with cursing and profanity. That's true enough. In the knowledge of who he is and in thankfulness 
For what he has done for us who are in Christ Jesus, we are called to defend the name of God. I don't mean to say that every time a co-worker curses, you have to call him to account before the holy and just God. We don't have to repeatedly nag. That would be to cast our pearls before swine. But the profane individual must know where we stand, and he must know that not merely by surmising it, because we never talk that way. We must tell him clearly that we disapprove of that language because we are offended for God's sake. Then and only then will he understand the seriousness of the sin. But I say obligation to the third commandment is not merely a matter of obligation to say something to those who openly abuse God's name. Obedience to the third commandment is the obligation to glorify God in all that we do and say. to call someone all sorts of abusive names, to refer to someone in such a way that his name is made dirt, that's bad enough. To ignore someone is just as bad, if not worse. To walk right by God, ignoring him and his word, that's simply intolerable wickedness. God's goodness is spread over all his creatures, Psalm 145, and to us in particular, he has revealed himself in amazing grace and unfathomable mercy by sending his own son to save us from all our iniquities. His love to us is beyond measure. If we live with any attention to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we have any life within us, how can we possibly ignore or pay him, God, less attention than we might pay our pet. How can we possibly say, let's declare his name in church, but ignore him when it comes to the school or job or home or life in general? To walk in such neutrality over against the name of Jehovah God is a sin of the grossest sort because such a life proves that love is lacking. And don't forget, love is the fulfillment of the law. To the church, to us, 
comes the call of Isaiah 40, verse 9, O Zion, that bringest good tidings. Get thee up into the high mountain, O Zion, that bringest good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. That's our calling. That's our positive calling when it comes to the name of God. And then let us remember the best means that can be used to keep us from the wicked habit of using God's name in vain and to encourage us unto the open proclamation of his name with fear and reverence is to consider very seriously whose name it is. Even the name of the great God. Our Father, for Jesus' sake. His name is blessed. And rich blessings accumulate with the right confession and worship of him. Let's not forget, we are viewing each of the Ten Commandments in the light of what we are by grace. We're viewing these commandments as those who have been delivered from the, land, the house of bondage, sin and death, delivered by the wonder of our Savior. We are those who have been given to see God, to taste his fellowship, who have received his tender mercies, which are new every morning, who have been taken into the fellowship of his own covenant life and love. We are those whom he has chosen and adopted to be his children, heirs of the everlasting covenant of grace. And we are those whom he has delivered out of the bondage of sin and death and hell when the spirit of this great God, the spirit of Christ, dwells in us. Then we view these commandments with a love that motivates us to walk in them out of thankfulness to God. Then we also understand, don't we, even as we hear this commandment expounded again today, that our only salvation is in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Do you believe in him? Because we have so often taken God's name in vain, failing to honor him with due reverence, failing to confess him as we ought in the midst of this world, Jesus stood before God to bear the wrath that we deserved, to go through that death that God had commanded toward those who take his name in vain. God would not hold him guiltless. 
Though Jesus was perfectly innocent and without sin in himself, he took our sins upon him. He took all our guilt and sin upon him. And he experienced in his own soul and body what it meant that God commanded such blasphemy against his name to be punished by death. You remember Jesus was falsely accused of taking God's name in vain. He called God his father, making himself equal with God. And the Jews understood that very well. They understood that better than Jesus' own disciples. And the Jews' response was, he spoke in blasphemy. What need we have anymore of witnesses? And for claiming the deity that is his, he was put to death. Crushed for our iniquities. When we lay hold of that truth by faith, seeing in the blessed name of Jesus salvation from all our sins, we understand that speaking about our God in truth and with reverence is our duty of thankfulness. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, says the scripture. When our hearts are dwelling places of the spirit, we can't be silent bystanders. We must glorify God in all our words and works. Because we bear his name. We have been formed to show forth his praise. So the third commandment presses the greatest calling upon us and gives us the most blessed privilege. Let's live in thankfulness to him, shall we? Let's be very conscious of the name that we bear and of him whom we are called to reverence because in his name is also our strength and our salvation. Amen. Father, we give thanks to thee for revealing thyself to us in all thy glory in the face of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, continue to guide us by thy word and spirit that our lives are marked by thankfulness to thee also as we take our names upon our lips and reflect in word and deed our relationship to thee. For Jesus' sake, amen.